Okay? Father God, thanks so much for your word and your wisdom. We need it. We especially need it, Father, as we move uh, today and the next couple weeks into this section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus confronts uh, what is one of the most common issues in our life. So, Father, I pray that you would open your word to us today. I pray that you would uh, speak wisdom into our lives. And we want to listen to you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, a lot of times media often acts as kind of a mirror for the culture. In other words, media often reflects to us the atmosphere that we are breathing. Can you picture that? Because we all live in an environment. We all live in an atmosphere. For example, what you eat. People say you are what you eat. And if you want to be healthy, it's wise to understand what's in the food that we eat. It's wise to understand the air that we breathe. What is the greatest value of the culture in which we live? Sometimes media says it better than I can. Watch this. My father wrote about this in his book. Chapter 1, page 1, paragraph 1. What is the answer to 99 out of 100 questions? Money. not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. Why didn't you just come after me? No, this is about me. This is about my money. This is about money due me, which I will collect. $3.7 million. And now, folks, it's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Well, how much are you going to invest? Five thousand. Ten. Ten thousand. Five thousand. You needn't worry about your reward. Money is all that you love, and that's what you'll receive. For some folks, money is a foreign film without subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) And you're completely obsessed with treasure. Me? I'm giving away free money. Friend? Some of your folding money has come unstowed. It's my nest egg, Jack. At my age, you got to think ahead. Absolutely not. I'm a businessman. I love money. I love power. I love capitalism. I do not now and never will love children. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Now. Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Look. Man, all these jokers have got a lot of money and it belongs to me. I want to know who they are and what they're doing with it. I'm sorry about that, man. I really am. Money does bad things to people. There ain't no excuse for it. That little montage just kind of reminds us the reality is the culture in which we live, the air that we breathe the, uh, the environment that all of us try to live life in is an environment that loves money. Money matters. It really does. You say, well, Dale, the reality is money does matter. Now, the fact of the matter is money matters. It matters to me. 
Uh, I think about it. Okay, I'm a self-confessed, I think about money guy. I think about it probably more than I need to. I worry about it at times probably more than I need to. I dwell on it more than I need to. Because the reality is it's kind of hard to live life without it. Is that what you're thinking right now? I could read your mind and I'm not even omniscient. Because I'm one of you. We live in this culture in which money does matter. What might really surprise you though is that money matters to God. God actually thinks a lot about money. I know he thinks a lot about it because he talks a lot about it. In fact, when you read the scriptures, a third of all the parables had to do with money. There were more verses that have to do with how to relate to this thing called money and material things. Actually, more verses than there are on faith, more verses than there are on prayer combined. God talks a lot about money. Now, is God kind of into money? Is he hung up on money? I, I don't think so. So it leaves me kind of asking the question, why does God talk so much about money? And why is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount now entering a section in chapter 6 in which virtually the rest of this chapter, all the way through verse 34, is going to be about our relationship to this thing called money. He probably devotes more verses in the Sermon on the Mount to this topic. He does devote more verses to this topic than he does to prayer or to fasting or to uh, to even in the Beatitudes where he talks about the importance of who we are on the inside and our character. Jesus gives this long passage in which he talks about money. Why is the question? See, I think it's because Jesus knew his crowd. See, Jesus so much doesn't love money, but Jesus loves people. Does that make sense? And if Jesus knows that people love money, then Jesus loves us enough to help us try to figure it out. He talks about it because he cares about it, because he cares about you. He cares about me. And Jesus knew his crowd, and he knew that his crowd was making a basic, very basic mistake in how they approached life. And it was a mistake that was so huge that Jesus knew that this mistake, unlike some other mistakes that have temporary ramifications, this mistake that they were making was going to have eternal ramifications. Now, if you knew that a friend of yours was making a huge mistake that was going to affect his eternity, if you love that friend, you would do what? Just let him go? No, you would probably do what? Anybody want to be brave enough? You would probably say, you know something? Time out. You need to slow down and think about this before you do it. Because what you're about to do is going to have huge consequences. And, and that's the way I believe Jesus kind of leads us into today's passage. Because he sees them making a mistake. He sees them thinking wrongly. He th- sees them living wrongly in such a way that the, the mistake they're making is that they, they're in pursuit of the wrong treasure. And when it, whereas they think that they're on a path that's going to lead to incredible wealth, they're actually on a path that's going to leave them flat broke. Now, if you're an investment advisor to somebody, if we can use that metaphor, and you know that your client is about to make a choice that will leave them flat broke at the end of life as opposed to extremely wealthy, if you are a good credit advisor, if you're their financial advisor, you're going to tell them to what? Stop and think before you do that. And that's kind of the spirit in which I want you to go with me now to the passage. You see, Jesus is going to talk about this tough 
thing called money because he knew his crowd and he knew his crowd was making a huge mistake and they were they were too obsessed with money and he wants them to correct their thinking. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Dale, this is the first century. And Jesus was talking to a crowd that probably had some rich folk, but probably had a lot of just everyday common first century peasants. These are fishermen and farmers. And, you know, so, they, they, you know, you know, they had a problem with money because they didn't have much money. And, and today, Dale, we don't live there. Most of us don't do that. We live in Southern California. Surely we don't struggle with money. True or false? You see, if the people of Jesus' day who never watched a single TV commercial that tried to sell them anything got out of balance in the area of money, if they never saw a commercial, if they never even owned a credit card, if they didn't have the option of swiping their card to get into trouble, they didn't have any of these things that we have today, how much tougher is it for you and me for us to keep money in its right place in our lives? How much more tempting is it for us to love it? How much more tempting is it for us to trust it? How much more tempting is it for us to depend upon it as a source of our happiness? So I just want to kind of call it out, call it what it is. We live breathing the air of the most materialistic culture, perhaps, in the history of mankind. And with all of the technology delivering all of the promises... This is an area that I struggle with. It's an area that I think most of us, if we're really looking inside out in the heart, we realize it's a challenge. So today, in fact, for the next three weeks, we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to listen to him talk about treasure. He's not going to talk about, you know, if you're really godly, you'll go out and be poor. He's actually going to say, if you really want to be godly, you'll go out and be rich. But he's going to actually redefine treasure so we really understand it so open to the word matthew chapter 6 verse 19 let's pick it up and begin to dissect this part of the sermon on the mount follow with me verse 19 619 jesus says do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves will break in and steal it but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, not even there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now this is kind of confusing, but we'll explain it in a minute. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, you got a bad eye, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You know, as we dissect this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has just finished challenging his... um, his followers in three areas. Remember last week, the theme was hypocrisy. Jesus challenged them in the way that they do even the right things in their life. He taught them that even doing the right things for the wrong reasons has devastating results, right? So they were doing the right type things, and he he highlighted three of them. They were praying, they were giving, they were fasting. But he said, even if you do the right things for the wrong reasons, it can have 
bad results. And the bad result Jesus emphasized last week, remember he mentioned it three times, was whatever reward, you'll have your reward on earth, but you'll lose it in heaven. You'll have it on earth, but lose it in heaven. You'll have it on earth, but lose it in heaven. And therefore, Jesus was saying to them, look, I don't want you to enter into the kingdom of God. I don't want you to enter into heaven broke. I want you to enter into heaven wealthy. And and, and in that context of having just taught about hypocrisy, not just about money, but about things like prayer even, he then launches into a discussion of one of those three big topics. We'll come back and talk about his discussion on prayer in a few weeks. But first, he tackles this thing called money. And here's the big idea. Jesus has two objectives. And I would, I would pretend to say to you that, or I would not pretend, I, I, would, I would like to say to you that in a way, I have two big objectives in life as your pastor. Number one is to get you into heaven. Because if you haven't come to understand the grace of God, that is your greatest, most desperate need. Do you understand that you can do nothing that earns you entrance into the kingdom of God. You cannot be good enough. And Jesus is teaching on that. He's been drilling that down so they understand the essence of our sinfulness. We are way more, you know, we're way worse off than we think we are. So the first objective makes you understand that your good religiousness will never get you there. And, and, And I think you understand that by now. If you don't, listen to some of the past sermons. But I'll say it clearly. The grace of God is our only hope. And it's rich and available. But then Jesus is not just wanting to get them into heaven. And neither are we wanting just to do that for you. See, our second objective for you is to then introduce you to not only the life that gets you into heaven, you're born again, you have new life in Christ, but then how is that life to be lived out? How is that life to be lived out in such a way that if you are using this short period of time while on earth, to prepare for an eternity in heaven, then how do you go into heaven in the very best shape possible? And that was Jesus' second concern. And that's the concern we begin to address. He wanted them not just to be part of the kingdom of God. He wanted them to be wealthy in eternal riches. Now you think, wow, I don't know what that means. Well, let's unpack it and begin to learn. All right, here we go. Jesus wants us to learn about true treasure, to get the right focus. And therefore, he wants us to not only have the right treasure, to have the right focus, but to understand who the right master is. Let's look at the first one. What is this treasure thing Jesus is talking about? Well, in verse 19, if we go back and look at it again, he says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Now, what kind of treasure is he talking about? It's things that moth. Moths eat, clothing, things that rust destroys, items that we own, ownership, um, things that thieves would want to break in and steal. He's talking about money and possessions. He says, don't focus on storing up treasure on earth, but instead store it for yourselves treasure in heaven. Because there, the moths don't eat it, rust doesn't destroy it, thieves can't steal it, and it's going to be yours forever. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Underline that. We're going, to, we're going to come back to that in a minute. What is the reality of what I call this two-treasure principle concerning life? I like diagrams, so let me diagram it for you. There's two types of treasures. There's earthly treasure. There's heavenly treasure. Treasure on earth is temporary. In heaven, it's eternal. We'll just build this real quick. It's easy to see, okay? Okay. So on earth it's temporary, in heaven it's eternal. 
On earth, you got to protect it or else you lose it. On, in heaven, it's safe and secure. Uh, on earth, it, uh, it must be replenished. You've got to constantly replenish it. In heaven, it can actually grow uh, on its own. On earth, it can be destroyed. In heaven, it can last forever. On earth, at death, you own how much? Zero. Now, you, have, you may have a big estate that someone else inherits, but how much do you take with you when you check out? Answer, zero. Whereas heavenly treasure is something that Jesus says cannot be stolen, destroyed, and, and it's yours in heaven forever. So it's, it's eternal. It continues on even after your death. What Jesus is getting at is compared to another passage. Uh, my, my favorite old kind of cross-reference to understand this is keep your finger in Matthew 6 and turn to 1 Timothy. Make it easy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So let me hear you flip your Bibles if you've got them open, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Are you there? It's a great passage. In fact, if you do the five appointments with God with me this week, I'll, um, I'll go deeper into this with you. <clears throat> but 1 Timothy 6 is probably the best passage that just kind of goes into depth on, uh, in fact, it begins with, instruct those who are wealthy in this present world. In other words, you know, whenever you experience the blessing of a job, you experience the blessing of a little bit of income, a little bit of wealth, a few possessions, you begin to collect some stuff. He says, here's what you need to tell those people. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, verse 17, not to be conceited, not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but to fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, whoa, there's a surprise that God actually says it's okay to enjoy some of your riches. Now, this, this sounds a little different from what you expect to hear in church, doesn't it? But he actually says, be careful because there are issues of the heart that get screwed up whenever you begin to experience some blessing and some success and some income. And what happens is, first, you begin to get kind of prideful. You get conceited. Well, I'm so much more successful than they are, and I want to show it. Uh, secondly, you put your hope in it. You begin to feel, you know, I'll be secure as long as I have enough in the bank. I got a better financial plan. You put your security in it. He says, don't do that. He says, it's great to have it and even okay to enjoy it. But when God blesses you, he says, instruct those who are wealthy in this present world not to be conceited, not to put their hope or fix their hope on it. And, and, and not to depend upon it. He says, but to keep their trust in the God who supplied it. In other words, this. Here's an idea. Trust the giver instead of the gift. There you go. Write that down. That's good. That's not even in the sermon. I should write that down for second service. Yeah, trust the giver, not the gift. You see, there are all kinds of issues of our heart that get us in trouble when we experience Blessing. In fact, Jesus would say that it's harder to keep money under control when you have it than when you, than when you don't. That you actually tend to worry more about it when you have more of it. People that have less money report less worries about money. Isn't that interesting? You would think it would be the other way around. You'd think, wow, if I had a, a banner year or if I won the lotto and had plenty of money, then all of a sudden I wouldn't worry about money, right? Well, listen to this. Here's a quote from a gal who went from being an everyday common a worker, and she cashed in the lotto a few years back, won $12.4 million. Now, for me, that sounds pretty good. I don't play the lotto, but okay, anyway, here we go. Get my attitude together here. It sounds good. It sounds appealing. How many would like 
12.4 million. Raise your hand. How many don't want 12.4 million? How many want more? That's probably why you're saying, okay. You're a stingy bunch. But anyway, here we go. Here's what she said later on as she reflected back. She said, I've never been so depressed in my life since we hit the Powerball. Things were just so much easier. When we had a little house, I was babysitting my niece and nephews. We just got to worry about so much now. We've just got to worry about so much now. Because now they have all the stress of what they're going to do with this $12.4 million. Most of us still find that hard to believe. Let's be honest, okay? But the reality is that story is told over and over and over again. Not just by people that win the lotto, but by by, by people in careers that they find all of a sudden a season in life in which they experience some great success. And the reality is the more you have, the more you worry and stress and the more it controls your life. So Jesus says, be careful with that. Let me read to you Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. I want to read the version I don't usually use very often, the Living Bible, because it is so good on this verse. Write the reference down. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 and 11 says this. He who loves money will never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend right up to the limits of your income. And that was written to a culture with no credit cards. So what is the advantage of wealth, except perhaps to watch as it runs through your fingers? See, the reality is people say money talks, but for most of us, the most common thing we hear it saying is bye-bye. Because the more we have, the more we spend, the more we worry, And it tends to begin to own us instead of us owning it. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he's wanting them to begin to understand how to properly relate to this thing called money. Now go back with me. Let's go Matthew chapter 6 again. Matthew 6 then, Jesus begins to give them some wisdom on how to not fall into this trap of being obsessed with earthly wealth. And notice what he says first. He says, lay up... Treasure in heaven, verse 20, which can't be lost or stolen or destroyed. For, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, read that clearly. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus knows the most important thing to a healthy life is a healthy heart, a properly focused heart, because you're going to live out of the heart, inside out, right? So Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven. Focus on heavenly treasure. Because when you're doing that, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I used to think it was the other way around. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So the reality is this. We don't need both screens anyway. Ignore that. Here we go. Look here. Okay. we, We tend to think, wherever my heart is, my treasure will follow. Now, I think there's some truth to that. But Jesus in this passage, as he often does, he flips it. And he says, for where your treasure is, it will draw your heart. And and, and both are certainly true. You know, I was talking to one of our elders the other day 
who went to Rwanda, Frank. And, and, and Frank said, you know, to be honest, Dale, until I went to Rwanda and, and, and invested some of my time and energy and money in Rwanda, I had no interest in Rwanda. I didn't pay attention to them in the news. I didn't even think about them. They weren't on my mind, and they certainly weren't in my heart. But after going there and meeting the people and spending some money to get there and, and, and investing there and getting involved there, now I care about Rwanda. I think it even happens in a very practical way. What, how does your attitude change when all of a sudden you buy a bunch of stock in a certain company? Uh, and then all of a sudden that company pops up in the news. Do you pay attention or not? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. You didn't used to care about that company. Why do you care about it now? Well, because I'm invested there. So you do care about it. See, the reality is when you invest in Starbucks, you drink more coffee. Right, Ryan? That's right. That's right. Talk to Ryan. He'll explain that. So what's Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying is make sure your heart is properly focused and then you'll be able to live life better. In other words, I would put it this way. Don't follow your heart until you focus its affections. And there are things that we can do to focus the affections of our heart on what makes life really work, which is loving God, loving people. That's the big idea. But don't follow your heart until you focus its affections. And people say, well, Dale, how can I become less materialistic? How can I become less obsessed with stuff? How can I become less conscious about money all the time? And the answer, to be blunt, is begin to invest in heaven. Begin to invest in earthly things. Begin to practice generosity. Begin to give more. You know, and, and I'm not giving this sermon because of a budget. You met our needs last year, okay? Sure, our budget's up. Do I want you to give more? Yes. I'm going to be honest because if not, I can't finish this sermon with integrity. But that's not the motivation that Jesus had, and it's not my motivation in teaching you this. What Jesus was concerned about was not the upcoming offering. There was no offering taken at the Sermon on the Mount. He was concerned about the eternal destiny of the people that he loved so much. First, how to get them into heaven. And secondly, how to make sure they didn't go into heaven spiritually broke and embarrassed. That's our concern as well. So therefore, what do you do? Number one, ask yourself the question, where am I laying up treasure? How do I define wealth? How do I define treasure? Jesus says, focus on things that are eternal, not the stuff of this earth. Secondly, how do I get there? The way I get there is by focusing, I call it the clear focus principle. To, to, to choose the right treasure, you've got to get the right focus. And that's why Jesus launches into this confusing thing in verse 22. When he, right after he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says, the eye is like the lamp of the body. He says, you know, metaphor, okay? He says the eye is like where, where things enter into your, your consciousness, into your body. It comes through what you see. He said, if then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light that is in you is only darkness, how great is that darkness? That's how he said it. Explanation point. So you're in bad shape, man. You're in bad shape if, if your vision is blurry and dark. You can't see clearly. 
Now, then Jesus in the very next verse says, therefore, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You got to get it cleared up. See, what Jesus is talking about is not how to have better eyesight. He's not talking about whether you got 20-20 vision. He's talking about whether you have proper vision for what is important in life. Do you see life clearly? And what he's wanting us to see is if you have an eye for earthly wealth, I'll give you another chart, versus an eye for heavenly wealth. And if you don't get that straight, either got a bad eye or a clear eye, you're full of darkness or you're full of light, you're either living, therefore, in darkness or you're walking in the light. So Jesus is saying, hey, I want to help you understand this. You got your priorities wrong. You think that success is made up with how much you own. You think that whoever has the most toys at the end of life wins the game. And he says, you don't understand that this life thing is an eternal thing. You're going you're to live a few short years here on earth and you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So where is it important to invest? And Jesus says, be a smart investor in how you're living your life. Another way to say it is this. Seeing clearly with an eye on heaven is essential for choosing correctly while on earth. See, you know, you know some, some people say, he is so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that saying? Jesus is saying, that's not true. When you are truly heavenly minded, then you can make good decisions while on earth. And Jesus says, the first thing is choose the right treasure. The second thing is make sure you have an eternal perspective on your life so you see eternity clearly. And then that leads naturally to the third and final point of our morning, and that is, therefore, you choose the right master. Because then he says in verse 24, here it goes, see, you got the right treasure now. You got the right focus now. Thirdly, therefore, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You just can't serve God and mammon or wealth or money. It means possessions. Can't do it. What Jesus is teaching is that serving two masters always leads to chaos. See, eventually one of them is going to prevail. Another way to say it is they, they will divide your soul until one of them wins out. Now, Just think on that statement for a while. See, I think Jesus is so smart. I love the fact Jesus is smarter than me. He makes my sermon so much better when I just follow him, okay? Because here's what he's doing. See, he's saying, hey, lay up eternal treasure. So nobody can argue with that, you know? And then he says, so make sure you have an eternal focus. Well, no one can argue with that. But I think Jesus is reading the mind of his audience, and he's reading your mind right now. Because some of you are thinking this. Wait a minute, Dale, you're kind of teaching this like this is an either-or. I really think I can do both and. I think I can love Jesus, you know, especially on Sunday, no doubt about that. I can love Jesus, and then Monday through Friday or during the week, you know, it is about money, and I love money. And I see no reason in the world why I can't just love both of them. See, that's the natural response. So Jesus reads their mind, and he says, guess what? Ultimately in life, you can't serve two masters. Now, can you love God and enjoy money? My answer is yes. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, look, 
Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope on riches, not to be conceited, uh, but to uh, put their hope in the God who supplies us with all things to enjoy. And then it goes on to say, but also make sure that they are generous, eager, ready for good works, laying up treasure in heaven, using their earthly wealth to produce heavenly treasure. See, so Jesus, he understands how we're wired. In fact, we are wired as human beings to enjoy this earth. We do enjoy it. And we enjoy some of the stuff that money buys, you know. I enjoy having a nice home. I'm going to be inviting, by the end of this summer, I'm going to be inviting every one of you to my home. And the reason is uh, we're going to do a series of backyard barbecues for junior high, high school, young adults, young marrieds, couples with kids, couples with teenagers, empty nesters that are wondering what to do with the rest of their life like me. So, you know, and so if you're in one of those uh, categories of life, I think that's all of you, uh, you're going to get an invite. And, and, and I'll admit, Becky and I have a beautiful home. God blessed us. He enabled us to, uh, to save and build some equity. And, and we, we got a gorgeous home. And to be honest, we enjoy it. It's a, it's a source of joy. And we have to watch that we don't begin to love it more than God. We've got to watch and make sure that our love for God is always the premier, premium, preeminent love of our life. And that the other stuff that God might choose to allow us to own or possess, whether it's a car or a home or, or a possession or a cool guitar. I love this Gibson over here, okay? Man, you know, especially the in and out sticker. I mean, that has to increase the value right there. But, you know, you know John, it's a, it's a source of joy for Johnny. But it's also a source of ministry. And see, the reality is when I get God's perspective on money, then I actually can enjoy it without being controlled by it. And actually, I go beyond enjoying it. I go into a lifestyle where I'm constantly asking the question, God, if you've given me this to use for a while, it's, it belongs to you. I'm leaving it behind. I'm not taking it to heaven. So since it's your home and it's your car and it's your guitar, how can I use it for you? Is there a way I can leverage this for the kingdom of God? And all of a sudden, life gets really, really fun. You see, the question I wanted to wrap with is this. It's all about the heart. We're going to, what, my goal for you is this. My goal is Jesus says where your treasure is, there's your heart's going to be also. So my goal is to coach you on how to get your heart properly focused so you can follow it. Notice the heart issues in this little brainstorm chart that I wrote up. How's your heart? Ask the question. How's my heart? If my heart is driven to love stuff, or is it driven to love God? And I want to just throw out a series of words and see how many of them reflect your life whenever you think about your relationship to money, okay? In other words, how is your heart? Let's build this chart. Love stuff, love God. If I love my stuff, I think and live like a possessive owner. It's mine. I don't want to lose it. If I love God, I'm a faithful steward. We're going to build this real fast. Do you have this chart? You don't. You know something? Imagine this chart. It's a wonderful chart, and we'll have it next week. But you'll get the picture. Okay, and the issue is this. If I just 
love stuff, I become fearful. If I love God, I become confident because I don't have to fear because God is the source of my security, not my stuff. So I don't live with as much fear of losing it. You know what I mean? Because I'm not depending on it. So I actually become more of a confident steward. Uh, if I if I love stuff, I'm coveting. I need more. If I love God, I'm content. I'll work hard, take all that he blesses me with, say thank you, but I'll be content with what I have. So I go from coveting to contentment. I'm going to give you this chart next week, so you don't have to write it down. Uh, if, if, if I love stuff, I become frustrated when, when, when the world isn't cooperating. The market is up, the market's down. You know, when the market's down, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, and I get tight with my money. Now, what if I'm loving God more than my stuff? Then whether the market is up or down, life is not about my money. I can still be fulfilled instead of frustrated, joyful instead of sad, and I can still be generous instead of tight because it's not about the money. When I love stuff, I become self-indulgent. When I love God, I become compassionate when I see a need. I'm able to release a little bit of my blessing to bless somebody else. When I love stuff, I become dissatisfied when I don't have enough of it. Or even if I do have enough, I want more. John Rockefeller was asked, the wealthy John Rockefeller was asked years ago, you know, because he just had billions and billions of money. So someone asked him an interview and said, well, you know, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? His answer was $1 more. Because I'm about making money. So no matter how much I accumulate, I want one dollar more. He was honest. If my life is about stuff, I'm dissatisfied. If my life is about God, I'm thankful for whatever I have. I'm thankful in the good days when I experience a raise or a promotion or I, or I close a good deal and I make a little more money. I'm thankful. But I give thanks to God for that. It doesn't produce pride. It doesn't produce the sins of the heart like pride and conceit and trusting and relying upon it and loving it too much. But I flip that around and the very blessing that tempts me to be prideful now fills me with praise. The very blessing that tempts me to be, to be I got I to gotta make sure I don't lose this, tempts me to be more generous. I go from dissatisfied to thankful, from pessimistic to optimistic. Most importantly, what this passage says is I go from dying and entering heaven eternally poor to inheriting the kingdom of God eternally rich. You say, well, Dale, I mean, how can you be eternally rich? What's that look like? Next week, we're going to talk about it. But all I know is if i got a choice, number one, do I want to go to heaven or miss it? I want in. And I thank the grace of God for getting me there. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I challenge you to do that today. Because apart from that decision, nothing else I'm teaching really matters. But most of us in this room have made that choice of Jesus and owned him as our Savior and our Lord. And then for us, Jesus says, okay. If you want to begin to lay up treasure in heaven, you answer three questions first. What treasure really matters? Where's my treasure? 
What treasure am I paying attention to and tracking and counting and thinking about? What's, what treasure do I get stressed over if all of a sudden I think I'm losing it? Where's your treasure? Number two, how's your focus? Do you see life as it really is? It's not a 60, 70, 80, 90 year journey on planet earth. Your life is eternal. So Jesus says, don't be stupid. Invest for the long run, not the short run. What's my treasure? How's your focus? And then thirdly, who do you really love the most? Who's your master? Who are you following, serving, loving? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for the wisdom of your word. Thank you for how you are so generous with your wisdom. Even your wisdom about generosity. Your wisdom about money. Your wisdom about stuff. Lord, you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And thank you for opening our hearts. Perhaps giving us a glimpse into the fact that, yeah, we care too much about this stuff. We care too much about this life. But Lord, we like it. But may we always love you and do no more than like it. And may our love for you teach us and guide us toward the wisdom of laying up treasure in heaven, having the right focus, following the right master. May our possessions never grow to possess us. May they be used by us for your kingdom. We love you. Lord, um, every week we do this, no matter what the sermon's on, we give to you. And Father, we want to grow in our understanding of generosity, investing in eternal things. So we give generously now because you are a generous God of grace, because we love you.